Let's turn back over to Ephesians chapter 1. If you were not here yesterday morning, I started talking out of Ephesians chapter 1, and I emphasized specifically Ephesians 1, 3, and also verses uh, 15 on through the end of this first chapter, talking about everything that we are trying to get God to do, He's already done. God has already provided everything. And when you got born again, you became a new person. And in your spirit, you have the fullness of God in you bodily. I also use scriptures like 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, that says, As Jesus is, so are we in this world. It didn't say, so are we going to be in the next world, so are we in this world. And people struggle with that because they go look in the mirror and they think this can't be like Jesus and they feel their emotions and they think, I know this isn't the way that Jesus would want me to be. But it's your spirit that was changed. And in your spirit, you've already got everything. And so I was using these verses out of Ephesians 1-3 that you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings. And then the prayer that he prayed that God would open up the eyes of your understanding so that you could see what you already have in Christ. You have raising from the dead power on the inside of you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Well, that's powerful. There's a scripture in in, um, Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, and Paul was praying for Philemon, and he said, I pray that the communication of your faith would become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This is what really turns your faith loose is when you understand what God has given to you. But as long as you think that God's power is out there someplace and that you've got to jump through hoops and do something to get God to move, man, it's discouraging. It's frustrating. But once you understand that God has already placed everything on the inside of you, it's a done deal. You don't have to do something to get God to move. He's already placed it on the inside of you. And as quickly as you can renew your mind, you can release this power of God. It's a matter of releasing what you have rather than going and getting something that you don't have. Boy, that's huge. I just can't emphasize how important that is. And it's a completely opposite way of thinking for what most people have. So I want to continue along those lines. And remember, we went through this prayer at the, uh, through the end of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. In chapter 2, it says, And you... It was talking about how Jesus was raised from the dead, quickened and raised from the dead. And it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So this isn't something that only applies to Jesus. You have now been quickened. You have this power on the inside of you. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Man, that is one powerful scripture. I'm going to skip it. I really want to get on down to this eighth verse. and I, I, Let's just go to the eighth verse. That's the only way I'll get there. That is a powerful verse. Very few Christians understand that verse right there. That is a, that is a total different way of understanding and looking at things than our American culture looks at it. Totally opposite. In verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That verse has become kind of like a uh, pivot point. It's like a hinge. 
you know, for a door that all of this weight swings. There's a lot of things that hang on this. This is what makes, this is what connects a lot of things. Powerful passage of Scripture. And I want to try and go through this quickly. I have an entire teaching on this entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. I've got a lot of things that cover this. But this is really a pivotal point that you get right here. We've been talking about the grace of God and how God doesn't move in our life based on what we deserve. And some people emphasize the grace of God to the point that it means that you're basically irrelevant. It's just all up to God. People, an extreme of this is what is typically called the sovereignty of God. I would say that probably the dominant uh, doctrine in the body of Christ, the vast majority of Christians, especially fundamental uh, evangelical Christians, uh, the sovereignty of God is one of the foundation doctrines. It, it overrides and controls a lot of things. And I am not against saying that God is sovereign if you'll use sovereign the way that the Bible talks about it, the way that the dictionary even defines sovereign. I'm not against it if you use that. That means first in rank, order, or of authority, or independent. If you want to use that and say that God is sovereign, I support that 100%. But there is a religious connotation put to the sovereignty of God that says God controls everything and it's just up to Him whether you live or die. People will say all the time if a person died, well, their number's up. It's like God just had a certain number of days allotted to you and your number's up and you're out of here. And it was God's will. It must have been God's will that this happened. I've actually heard people, this is on a television program, I won't mention the minister because you know him. Stephen's worked for him <laughs> and produced his television program. And I heard this guy interview a woman who her and her daughter were abducted at gunpoint, taken out into the country, raped, and then he made them lay down on their stomach and shot both of them in the back of the head, killed the daughter. The mother lived through it with physical problems. And she was on this program talking about that, well, we know God is sovereign and we know that God had a purpose and God is working this together for good. And she was crediting that to God. I got so mad, I nearly broke my television set. That is not God. God does not do that. God does not control everything. God has an overall plan. But you've got absolute independence whether you cooperate with God's plan or not. God will get His plan accomplished, but it may be without you. It may be in spite of you. He does not control everything that you do, and He does not work everything in your life together. See, that's an extreme... Uh, interpretation of grace. That, well, it's not up to me. It's not my goodness. I have nothing to do with it. And so it's just, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. And you know, when I go to countering this, I wouldn't doubt that there's some people here that this may be brand new for it to hear somebody this be this uh, straightforward countering the sovereignty of God. Matter of fact, if you use the NIV translation, I forget the exact number of times, but it's something like 3,500 times that the NIV changed Almighty God or Lord God Almighty to Sovereign Lord. They've popularized this. And Sovereign Lord is now in many of our Bibles, and this is just part of our framework. And people think somehow or another this is heresy to challenge the thought that God doesn't micromanage and control everything that happens in your life. 
But you know, if uh, every time I preach on this, there's people that get mad at me, and I've had people come up and say, you're off the devil. How dare you say that? This is heresy. And I've turned their own doctrine around and said, hey, God's sovereign. I couldn't have said that if it wasn't his will for me to preach it. People who preach the sovereignty of God don't believe what they say. They're inconsistent. It's either true that God controls everything or He doesn't control everything. You can't just sit there and say, well, He controls it up to this point, but He would never cause somebody to abduct somebody and rape and murder them. Oh, He wouldn't do that. Well, where do you draw the line? Is it up to you to just personally, case by case, decide what God does and what He doesn't do? The reason I got off on all of that is because this verse says you're saved by grace, but you aren't saved by grace alone. You have to respond to God's grace, and that's what faith is. Faith is our positive response to God's grace. You're saved by a combination of the two. You aren't saved by what God does alone. Man, it's quiet in here. Some of you think, well, how, how could that be? The Bible says, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Every person that has ever lived on the face of the earth has had God's grace come to them. As author taught this morning, yeah, he taught that the sins of the entire world have been taken care of. Did you know that God, by grace, provided for every single person's salvation? Sin has been obliterated. It's been taken care of. And that's not only for the Christians. That's for everyone. The sins of the whole world have been paid for. So does that mean that everybody's saved? No, because you're saved by grace. That's what God does through faith. That's what you do. If you don't respond in faith to what God has provided then even though it's been provided, it has zero impact on you. It has no effect on you. So it not only takes what God does, but it takes us responding positively to God. God's grace is something that is independent of you. Jesus died 2,000 years ago before you or I existed. So it wasn't something that God responded to you and said, oh man, this person really needs help, so I think I will respond to them and provide. No, before we existed, before we had done good or bad, Jesus died for our sins and paid for our sins. That's grace. But does that mean that you're saved by grace alone? No, you're saved by grace through faith. And if you don't understand the balance between grace and faith, you can emphasize that it's just the grace of God. And you can sit here and take scriptures and talk about that it's not according to him that wills or him that runs, but it's according to God that gives the increase. That's a scripture. There's other things, many things that say that. And you could sit there and emphasize that and lead people into a place to where they believe that, well, it's just up to God. God is sovereign. Whatever happens, it must be God's will. And we have lots of people in a ditch over on that side of the road. You know, where I live, we have a dirt road. And the drainage is these big old ditches on the side of the road. And uh, when there's rain or snow on the road, you know, you tend going around some of these curves to nearly go into a ditch. And the immediate thing you want to do is just overcorrect. And, but there's a ditch on the other side of the road, too. 
And we have a big curve right past our driveway. And when there's snow on the road, every year somebody's off in one of those ditches. And it's because they start to go off this way and they overcorrect and they hit the ditch on the other side. You know what? You still aren't going to get anywhere. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. One ditch isn't better than the other ditch. The way you get someplace is to stay in the middle and go down the, the middle in between these two ditches. Well, you can get into a ditch with grace to where it's just all up to God. And so let's lay on the couch and eat bonbons and watch as the stomach turns. It's just up to God. People say, I'm waiting on God. I've prayed and I'm waiting on God. You aren't waiting on God. God's through. He's finished. He said, it is finished and it's over and He's provided everything. He's healed every person He's ever going to heal. He's forgiven every person He's ever going to forgive. God's part's done. You don't, when you have a need and you say, oh God, the bill collectors are coming after me. I need a miracle. And you run to God as if it's something brand new. God anticipated every problem you would ever have, the entire human race would ever have in our entire existence. He's already provided everything. It's already done. He doesn't have to do anything to get you set free. He's already done it. And he's placed that power on the inside of you. And he gave us the owner's manual how to get it out. It's already done. And so you just need to renew your mind. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things. In the Greek, that word all means all. It means everything. He has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. God's put it in you. Now you've got to work it out. That's what the Bible calls faith. But there's a ditch on the other side of this road too. Some people only emphasize faith. And they get to talking about faith. And there's, you know, a million things involved with faith. One of them is your confession. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so you've got to speak the word of God. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So those are some of the things about faith, and it is true. But if you aren't careful, you'll get to where people think faith is moving God. That is a favorite expression among faith people. They'll say, faith moves God. They have banners about it. It's a byword. Faith doesn't move God. God's not stuck. God's not the one that needs to move. God's already done everything. Again, God's already accomplished everything. It's a done deal. If you need to be healed, you don't need God to move. People will say, oh God, just stretch forth your hand and lay your hand on this person, touch this person, and all of these kind of things. God doesn't need to heal people. By His stripes, you were healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. It's already been done. And according to these verses we used, you have that raising from the dead power living on the inside of you. It's not out there in heaven and you've got to pray it down or go to somebody that has this anointing and power, you have this power on the inside of you. But that power doesn't operate automatically. It has to be accessed by faith. And faith, this is important that you get this. This took me 20 years to learn what I'm about to tell you. This is more important than it's going to sound. But faith is not something you do 
to move God. Faith is simply your positive response to what God has already done. Here's another way of saying that same thing. Faith doesn't make God do anything. Faith only appropriates what God has already done by grace. Now, if grace hasn't already done it, then faith can't make it happen. Faith doesn't make God do anything. Faith doesn't move God. God moves by grace. Before you existed, before you had a need, God by grace anticipated everything, supplied the needs of the entire human race, done, over. And Jesus is now seated at the Father's right hand. He is not up there constantly reapplying the blood and making atonement and working and doing things and answering your prayer and doing all of this. He did everything that he was going to do. And he says, it's finished. It's over. He's now seated at the Father's right hand. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. It's over. He's done his part. That's grace. But grace doesn't just change you automatically. You have to have a positive response to what God has done. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. But even Jesus said that the majority of people would not enter into heaven, but they'd enter by the broad gate unto destruction. And yet their sins have been forgiven. Their sins have been dealt with. And some people, see, take that to an extreme and say, well, then therefore nobody's going to hell. There is no such thing as hell. Uh, the sins of the whole world have been paid for. They have been paid for, but you have to accept it. By faith. You're saved by grace through faith. There's a combination of these two things. And you will get into error anytime you take one to the exclusion of another. All error is, it doesn't have to be a total untruth. You know, the devil is smart enough to know that he can't. Uh, you know, you can't put poison in dog poop and kill a person. Nobody's going to eat it. So you put poison in something that is good. There has to be some element of truth in it. And all it is, you just take grace and emphasize grace without understanding that we have a part to play to make that a reality. And you know what? Grace can become error. You take faith and emphasize it without understanding that my faith isn't making God do something. It's just my way of reaching out and appropriating what God has already provided by grace. If you don't put these two things into balance, then either one of them become error. It's like sodium and chloride. Sodium is poison. Chloride is poison. If you eat enough of it, either one of those things will kill you. They're both poisons. But if you mix them together, it becomes salt and you'll die if you don't have it. Grace will kill you by itself. Faith will kill you by itself. But if you could put faith in what grace has done, what God has done by grace, then that's what releases the supernatural power of God. And most people tend to go to one extreme or another. All error is, is a truth taken to an extreme. That's all heresy is, is one truth taken at the exclusion or at the expense of other truths. We've got to put things into balance. And I know some people don't like this because they say, man, this sounds like effort. I'm going to have to study the Word. I'm going to have to learn something. I just wanted you to wave your hand over me and get it. It takes effort to understand the Word of God. But this is really a powerful truth that changed my life, that we are saved not by grace alone. You aren't saved by faith alone. You're saved by God's grace. That's what He does for you, independent of you, before you existed, so it has Zippo to do with you. And... 
Your faith is just responding and reaching out and taking what God has already provided. And if you could get that impression and relate to God that way, I tell you, it just takes the struggle out of it. Instead of me having to, I'm going to get into prayer and I'm going to do something and I'm going to grab hold of the horns of the altar and shake it until God comes out. I'm not letting you go, God, until you do something. Boy, I tell you, that's frustrating. I've done it. Well, let me rephrase it. I've tried it. It never worked, (laughs) man. I've had all-night prayer meetings where we weren't going to let go until we made God do something. And you know what? I wore out before He did. It didn't work. I'm sure many of you have done that exact type of thing and you've been frustrated. And if you aren't careful, then what you'll do is think, well, God, you aren't faithful. I did all of this. And you think that God responds to us. And so if I just pray harder, if I'll do this more, if I'll go to church more, if I'll study the Word more, if I'll live holy, if I'll give up something. I bet you every person in here has bartered with God. That God, if you will do this, I promise you I'll go to church. I promise you I'll do this. Man, when I was in Vietnam, I heard hundreds of people, you know, crying out, Oh God, I'll go to church. I'll serve you if you let me live through this. I remember when I was a little kid going to get a shot in a doctor's office and I promised him if he would keep me from getting this shot, I'd do anything. I was bartering with God as a five and six year old. God does not respond to us and based on our intensity and holiness and other things, provide things. God by grace. The very definition of the word grace means unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. It has nothing to do with you. If it has anything to do with you, then it's not grace. If you have to do something to merit God's grace, then it's not grace. If you have to do something to earn God answering your prayer, then you aren't putting faith in what God has done. You are putting faith in what you have done. Boy, this is simple. It's really powerful. And it just takes the effort out of the Christian life. Once you understand this, then when whatever hits you and all of these problems hit you, you just say, thank you, Father, that I know you've already by grace supplied the need. You've put on the inside of me the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And so you just say, Father, what's your wisdom? How do I deal with this? Knowing that he's already got it there. Now all you need is just a word from God about how do I release this? How do I walk in it? And God will speak to you. And when you follow and obey, that's what faith is, is just responding to what God has already done, following his directions. Then this supernatural power flows through you and things happen. You know, when our son died, Jamie and I just begin to start praising God and thanking Him that He knew about this, that didn't catch Him by surprise. I didn't have to beg God for something. I just started thanking God and praising Him that He's a good God, that He's not the one that killed my son. And even though he had been dead for five hours, we just responded and stood in faith. And my son rose up from the dead, from a morgue, on a slab, and rose from the dead after being dead for five hours. Man, it's awesome. And you know what? God had already done it. All I had to do was just stay calm. But if you get into fear and if you get into panic, and you know, sometimes we pray and we're saying the right words, but it's all motivated out of fear. God looks at your heart. It's not just your words. I've cast demons out of people before. 
We had a couple here. I don't know if they're here this morning or not, but they were here last night. That 31 years ago, they came to my meeting in um, Denver, and this woman was demon-possessed, and I cast those demons out. We got it on recording. It is one of the most blood-curdling things you'll ever hear in your life. And she got delivered, born again, and they've been coming to my meetings for 31 years. She was here last night and just praising God and awesome. But you know, lots of times when you cast demons out of people and stuff, and you're up here, all of a sudden people on the front row, I can hear this, and they're going, Jesus, 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 just as fast as they can. And our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but I can guarantee you they're saying that out of fear. That is not faith that causes you to go, Jesus, 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 amen. And there's some of us that are praying, but we're motivated totally out of fear and out of unbelief, all of the things that we're doing. And we're trying to get God to do something. When you can rest in what God has already done and just say, Father, thank you. I, you know, the doctor told me today I'm going to die, but it's no big deal. It's not like this caught you by surprise. You already put your power on the inside of me. I have raising from the dead power and either one of two things is going to happen. That is that I'm going to be healed, which I've already got that healing power, and I'm going to figure out how to release it, and I'm going to have a great testimony. I'll rub the devil's nose in it and make him sorry that he ever messed with me for this. Or if for some reason I can't figure out how to release that power, I'm going to go and be with you, and either way, I'm blessed. And you're just happy, and you stay in the Lord, and you don't get into fear, and you don't get into doubt. And I tell you what, that is a position of strength. And there's not very many people that can do that because they don't understand that God's already done it, that it's already complete. They think every new thing that comes against them is some brand new challenge. They've got to go conquer this enemy and overcome this thing every time. Instead of understanding, we aren't trying to get to a place of victory. We're coming from a victory. Jesus has already defeated Satan and all of his foes. He's put within us everything that we need. And anything that stands between me and the end of my life that comes my way, God has already given me the power and the authority to deal with it. And I'm just confident that come what may, it's in here. All I've got to do is ask God for wisdom. You know, our building next door, we, we bought that building, paid $3.2 million for it, and we took out a loan on that building when I, when I got that building. But then there was a $3.2 million renovation that needed to happen before we could use it because it was just a warehouse. It wasn't usable. And when we got that building, the person that gave us the loan said, oh, your construction loan to be able to do this is, is a part of the deal. We wouldn't have loaned you the money to buy the building if you couldn't have remodeled it and used it. So it says it's just a formality. You'll have the money in a week. Well, nine months later, we were still waiting on that money. And we hadn't got it. And I was frustrated to the max. And I had met with the bankers and all these people. And finally, they just said it's been nine months since, or it was over nine months, nearly a year since we'd had an appraisal. We need to get a new appraisal. And let's just start the whole process over. And when they said that, I said, no way am I starting this over. Because our school, we had a place that would accommodate about 120 or 30 people. And we had 200 people in it. We had porta potties outside in the winter, and men had to go outside and use them so the women could use the inside toilets. It was a mess. And so we were struggling, and I needed that building 
then. And all I could think of is nine more months of them saying next week, next week. And so I'm a little slow, but eventually I'll figure things out. And I just said, this is not God. Something is not working. And so what I did was start praying in tongues. I took the afternoon off. And I went home and I said, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. And my spirit, man, has the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. My spirit knows exactly what the right thing to do is and how to solve this problem. And I said, I'm not going to go another year waiting on somebody to come through. And so I said, I'm going to pray in tongues. And Father, you said if we prayed in tongues, pray also that we interpret So I said, I'm praying and asking for an interpretation. I believe that my spirit is speaking forth the perfect wisdom of God. And I started walking on this trail. And within 10 minutes of me starting to speak in tongues, all of a sudden God spoke to me and reminded me of a prophecy I'd had two years before about we're going to expand and don't worry about the money because you've got a bank. And man, when they said that, I thought, bank? What bank do I have? And it says, your bank are your partners. Your partners are going to pay for this and you will not have to go in debt. And you know, as soon as I started praying in tongues and asking for an interpretation, this prophecy came back. But then I had a decision. Is this from the Lord or is this just my memory? And I got to trying to figure this out. And you know, at the rate money had come in, I sat down and figured out at the rate, and we had just expanded and added nearly half a million dollars worth of monthly debt by going on new television stations. So it was the largest expansion we'd ever made in the ministry at that time. We were maxed out, tapped out. So it was doubtful that we could continue to save money at the rate we had. But if we continued to save money at the same rate I'd been able to set aside money, I figured out it would be a hundred years before we would bring in that (laughs) 3.2 million dollars. And I sat down and figured all this out and I thought, God, is this really you? If this isn't you and I commit to this route, I've just killed our ministry. Because we couldn't continue. The the ministry was just growing so fast. And if I was going to make a commitment, and you know, I, I believe it's a godly thing. The Bible says that a godly man will swear to his own hurt and not change. And if I made a decision and told my staff, we aren't going to borrow money, we're going to believe God and our partners are going to supply this need. If I made that decision, I wouldn't change. You know, if it got tough and, and uh, it didn't look like the money was coming in. I mean, if I made that commitment, I'd do it until the day I died and I wouldn't change. And so uh, I thought about it and I prayed about it for over a week. And I thought about all the implications of it. And we had never had that much money come in. But yet I just felt like that was God's wisdom. That was what I believe God had in my spirit. Then I had a choice. Am I going to obey God or not? And so finally, after I really felt confident that it was the Lord, I just told David, our manager, and I said, you know what, if they come to me tomorrow and say, you've got all of the money that you need, $3.2 million, I won't take it said, we're going to do this debt-free. And I told him that, and guess what? The very next day, one of the banks we had tried to go to said, you don't need 3.2, you need 4 million. You're approved, signed on the dotted line, and you got $4 million. And I told him, you're a day late. <laughs> and we turned it down. And did you know, in thir- 14 months, we had $3.2 million come in, and we got that building done with all of that renovation and everything done debt-free. And it came to pass. But what I'm saying is, see, I, 
for a period of time, I leaned under my own understanding. I just was doing things the natural, normal way, and it wasn't working. And finally, I said, Father, there is an answer. You have something. I depended upon the Spirit. The Lord told me what to do, and boom, it worked. And because of that, we now have, I don't know the exact amount, but it's at least $15 million to $20 million of facilities sitting over there with about $2 million worth of indebtedness. We could pay off that indebtedness, but at the moment we're putting everything towards our new place. So anyway, we're in a super strong position, and God has really, really blessed us. But the point I'm making is, see, God knew this. God had already provided everything. And all I had to do is just approach it from a, instead of a position of fear or panic or trying to get God to do something. Father, what is your answer? You saw this problem coming. There is a simple way to deal with this. What do you want me to do? That's grace. And then you just respond to it in faith. And you mix faith with God's grace and supernatural things happen. Now I'm in another building program, and it's going to cost me about $45 million. And you know what? I'm committed. I'm not going to take out a loan on this, and we're going to get it done. I just met with my builder last week, and I explained all of this, and they said, are you going to take out a loan? And I said, no. I said, God's going to supply it. And he said, well, good. I was going to tell you that if you were going to go in debt, I wouldn't build it for you. I thought, thank you, Jesus. What a guy to have. So we're in the process again, and you just hide and watch. It'll happen. It'll happen. But man, this is so powerful if you understand that God, by grace, has already got an answer before you've got the question. Before you have a problem, He's got a solution. And if you just sit there and rest in the Lord and approach life that way, it just takes all of the effort out of it. And it, and it does put a responsibility on you that you have to maintain a relationship with God. It's not just formulas. You can't just sit there and say, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart and say that 500 times and boom, God comes out. You've got to stay in relationship with Him and find out what, not only what His will is, but how does He want you to accomplish it? How does He want you to do this? I think we're way too quick to just do things. You hear that you're sick or something, and so you immediately just stand there and start rebuking the devil and binding this. There ought to be some time that you sit there and say, Father, I know that I'm already healed. You've already put this power on the inside of me. What is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to approach this? And meditate on it for a while. And yet we're just quick to cry out and beg God thinking that He's just responding to us. God has already met your need before you had the need. Now, listen to God. What is the way to do that? You know, I'm in situations right now that I'm preaching to myself. This is really good. (laughs) I've got to make some major decisions that affect many things Tens of thousands of dollars a month are in the balance. And I don't know what to do. But you know what? God has already seen that this situation came up. He knows what to do. And all I've got to do is still myself and get rid of my insecurities and fears or anything that I have and let God speak to me, get a word from God, and boom, my problems are over. That's really good. Amen. Amen, brother. Preach it. I'm preaching better than you're listening. 
<laughs> you know, Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says that whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. It didn't say you might have them. It said you shall have them. Now again, people who have just tried to take faith and divorce it from grace have taken that verse. And I've heard some of the weirdest things where people just claim this. And this is mine. I confess it with my mouth and believe it in my heart and it shall come to pass. I actually knew a woman in Arlington, Texas who started a Bible school, only had a handful of ladies in her Bible school, but she based it on Mark eleven twenty four, And her desire was to marry Kenneth Copeland. She wanted Kenneth Copeland to be her husband. And so she used Mark eleven twenty four and claimed Kenneth Copeland as her husband and actually had a wedding ceremony, dressed in a wedding dress, and they had a wedding ceremony where she married Kenneth Copeland in the spirit. That means Kenneth Copeland wasn't there, but in the spirit they were married and they were joined together. They were, had become one. And um, the way she dealt with Gloria Copeland... Being Kenneth Copeland's wife, she said, I can have whatever I say. So she cursed Gloria and commanded Gloria to die. And as soon as Gloria died, then her and Kenneth were going to get together and they'd be married. And they did this in a Bible school based on Mark eleven twenty four. And you know, most people sit here and say, oh, that's not true. Why not? Doesn't the Bible say whatsoever things you desire in coveting somebody else's mate a whatsoever? Why doesn't it work? Because God, by grace, never provided adultery and murder in the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith doesn't make God do anything. All it does is appropriate what has already been provided. And God doesn't provide adultery and fornication and murder and lust. This is why you can't just drive by and say, I covet that house. When the Bible says you shall not covet that which is your neighbor's. He didn't give you the ability. The atonement hasn't provided everything for your lust. And so you can't use faith and manipulate and just put pressure on God. And if He doesn't respond to you, then go get the prayer chain. Get a hundred people praying and trying to make God do what you want Him to do. I don't care how many people you get to pray. And you can't, faith doesn't make God do anything. All it does is appropriate what He has already provided. And if He's already provided it, well then why are you struggling so hard to try and get Him to do it? We ought to just rest in it. There is a fight in the Christian life. You know what the fight is? It's a fight to rest. I am not getting out of my faith. I am not going to panic. The doctor says I'm dying, but I will not give place to fear because I've already got the healing power of God on the inside of me and I am not going to act in fear. I'm not going to talk in fear. I am fighting to rest. Amen. This is why you can't take Mark eleven twenty four and say, I confess with my mouth and believe my heart that I'm going to rob a bank and get away and they will not catch me because I confess it with my mouth and believe in my heart. God didn't provide thievery for you through Jesus. You can't make Him do it. And see, again, if you understood this, it would stop so much of the weirdness that's going on in the body of Christ. Because you couldn't give a prove-me offering and make God do something. 
You couldn't sit there and say, you give this thousand dollars and God's now obligated and he's got to move in your life and he's got to do this and he's got to do that. God's already done everything he's going to do. He's provided everything and he's provided everything he's provided is good. He hasn't done anything bad. He hasn't empowered you or enabled you to do anything ungodly. He's only done things that are good for you. And you just rest in that. And it makes it so much easier. It makes it so much more fun. You don't have this burden on your shoulders that you've got to get everything done. You know, I was, uh, I was telling my uh, directors this. I forget. I, if I mention this, forgive me. I've mentioned it at least two or three times in the last couple of days, and I forgot where I said it. But Oral Roberts, uh, they were asking him this question right before he died. Did I say that in here? I was with him just before he died and there was a group of ministers together and one minister described the political situation that we're in and talking about how our nation's going the wrong direction and our morals are going in the tank and we need a revival and all of this and says, Oral, how do you change a nation? What do you do? How do we change our generation? And I was really blessed by Oral's reply. He says, you can't change a generation. You can't change anything. He says, man, you are taking on a responsibility, a load that nobody can handle. He says, you cannot change a nation. He said, I, when I started my ministry, I didn't start out to change anything, to make a movement or anything. He says, I just did what God told me to do. And then if other people will do what God tells them to do, God can take these individual things as we follow Him and God can change a nation. God can change a culture. God can do things. But you don't have that responsibility. He says, just do what God tells you to do. And you know, that is literally what's happening in our ministry. I am Right before my mother died, she died in 2009, and she was asking me about what's going on, and I was telling her about all of the things worldwide and miracles and things that were happening, and she was so blessed. But she stuck her little bony finger. She was 96 years old. She stuck it right in my face, and she said, Andy, you know this is God. And I said, yes, mother, I know this is God. And she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. <laughs> and I said, well, guilty, you're right. I'm not smart enough to do this. You know what? I just love God and I trust in God. Stephen Bransford was a godsend to me. I could have hired these other people and God just supernaturally. He was two or miles from my office and God just brought him to us supernaturally. Daniel Amstutz just came to us out of the blue. Man, what a blessing he is. Ashley and Carly. I could name 200 plus employees that it's just God that supernaturally has put us together. I hadn't figured out how to do this. I don't have a five-year game plan. I don't have all of these things figured out. I'm just following God and seeking God. And God is supernaturally adding people to me and increasing our effectiveness and doing things. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just following God, amen, and doing what God tells me to do. And it's working in spite of me and not because of me. And I tell you what, it is so freeing for me not to have to sit there and micromanage everything. We've got a major crisis in Uganda. It looks like we could lose everything we've got going over there. And you know what? I've got people right now over there that are dealing with it. I've got people on the ground. We've got two more going. I've got three or four meetings going right now about this. And there's people that God's raised up. And you know what? I don't have any pressure about it. It'll work out. God knew what these problems were before we had them. 
And all I got to do is rest in Him and just keep my peace. Let the peace of God rule in my heart. That's what faith is. Faith is not something you do to force God. You don't have to psych yourself up. You don't have to stir yourself up in the flesh and get worked into a lather. That's what most people think faith is. Faith is just standing there looking at the giant and saying, you're coming down. I'm going to cut your head off. Everybody else says, no way. And David, man, he just was trusting. He says, I've killed a lion and a bear when nobody was looking. You'll be like one of those lions and bears. No big deal. Boy, we've complicated so much. But I'm telling you, it's all done. Jesus has already done His part. Your spirit is perfect and complete. You don't need any more. You don't need any more anointing. You don't need any more faith. You've already got it in your spirit. You just need to get into the owner's manual and find out what you've got. Your faith becomes effectual by acknowledging what you already have. Find out what you have, how it works, and learn to rest in it. And just stand in it. And don't panic and don't get out of faith and don't get into fear. And don't go through all the religious calisthenics that we have today. And just rest in the Lord. I tell you what, it takes a lot of effort to rest. It takes a lot of studying the Word. It takes seeking God with your whole heart to get to where you can stand in the face of death and say it's no problem. God's already dealt with this. Amen. So there is effort, but the effort is all just about responding to what God has already done and try, instead of trying to get God to respond to you. There's a balance between grace and faith. And once you hit that balance, it allows you to overcome all of the stuff that the devil is throwing at you. Amen. Father, we love you and we thank you for this word. Thank you for the awesome things that you're doing. Thank you for the word that Arthur brought this morning, that Stephen brought. Thank you for this word, Father. And we just believe that this is causing us to supernaturally rest. You know, let me ask this. If there are people in here that through this today, you realize that the burden is all on your shoulders. You are scheming, conniving, doing everything you know to get God to do something. And all of a sudden you realize that, Father, I'm sorry. That's not faith. I'm just going to rest in the fact that you've already done it. This doesn't mean that you go inactive, but you are now going to study the Word and pray so that you can just rest in what God has done and trust Him instead of trying to manipulate Him and get Him to do something. You know, if you would say, man, I'm convicted and I need to repent of this and I need to rest in the Lord today. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. And I believe this is going to be a breakthrough for you. I think your problems... You're going to see them evaporate as you just respond to what God's already provided. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Father, right now, for all those people who have their hands up, I thank you, Father, that we trust you, that you have already anticipated whatever problem we have, that through Jesus it's already been dealt with. It's already been supplied. So we thank you, Father, and now we rest in you. We just ask your wisdom. We pray this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 that you would open up the eyes of our understanding and show us, Father, just simply how to respond. How do we respond to your provision that you've already made? What do you want us to do? And even if it's contrary to what the world would say, if it's contrary to our own inclinations, we will follow what you say 
we will obey you. And we believe that through that faith, we will access your grace and that your supply will come into manifestation. So, Father, right now, we just make that decision. We know it's a process. We believe that you've begun it in us, and it is going to continue, and we will see the manifestation of those things that we desire. We agree and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's time for you to go get your kids. I'm going to let you go this morning. we got the uh, barbecue at uh, 55 minutes from now, and if it's a 30 to 40 minute drive, you probably ought to be headed that direction. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.